0: This podcast is brought to you by New Hope Baptist Church. For more information, visit the website newhope.net.au or follow us on social media. It's a delight to be sharing with you around God's Word this morning and a particular good morning to those that are joining us online today. I often think that the Psalms are kind of like messages in a bottle that, from God that wash up on the shore of my life at exactly the right moment. I was reminded of that image again just this morning before the service where someone came and shared with me that during the week um, one of their loved ones had received some devastating medical news. And it was reading Psalm 90 in the WhatsApp group and listening to a number of your reflections that were the source of profound encouragement to them this morning. And I experienced that same dynamic myself in thinking about coming to speak to you about Psalm 90 this morning, I realised that I find myself currently stuck in a perpetual battle with time. I'm always looking to make the most out of time or to squeeze the most into time that I possibly can. You see, when it comes to time, there is the reality of what is, and then there is, of course, how I would like things to be. I don't know about you, but I would really like to feel that there is enough time for me to do all the things I feel like I have to do. I'd really like that each morning when I wake up and my feet hit the floor, that I didn't already feel like I was behind before I'd even taken a step. I'd like to believe that if, my goodness, I could just make the right plans, that somehow my future would unfold like some gorgeous straight line in front of me. I would really like to believe that self-discipline combined with a really smart group of productivity hacks bathed in a bath of prayer would deliver me from this decision fatigue that I find each day as I'm trying to respond to endless unexpected problems that arise, recalibrating, course-correcting as all of the stuff unfolds that I wasn't planning for, but sadly, Time doesn't offer us any of these guarantees, does it? This week in the psalm that we're reading, Psalm 90, it invites us to wrestle with many of the inconvenient truths about time. That there might not be enough time for you to get all the things done that you think you need to or want to get done. That unlike your favourite streaming service, time doesn't have a pause button. You can't just set some time aside and use it later. Time keeps unspooling endlessly before us, filled with these extraordinary surprises, stubbornly resistant to all of our attempts to control it. But time's ultimate kicker, I think, is that every moment of our lives carries us forward on a river of time, with no possibility of of us stepping outside of its flow. And you know that river of time? It only flows in one direction, towards our inevitable death, which to make matters even more tricky, could actually arrive at any moment. I remember being utterly appalled when my dad, somewhere in his 80s, began ending every meal he ate with these words, well, one more meal closer to death. I was thinking about that this week as I read our psalm. Perhaps, actually, that was his way of connecting with this central message of Psalm 90, neatly summarised in verse 12. Teach us to count our days, that we may gain a heart of wisdom. Perhaps my dad would say, teach us to count our meals, so we may gain a heart of wisdom. Psalm 90 is the only psalm in the whole of the Psalter that's dedicated to Moses. It reads, a prayer of Moses, man of God. Dedications like this signal to us, the reader, that there's something of a connection to the person or to the story or to the circumstances of their life that fits with the theme of the psalm. Of course, there's absolutely no saying what that is for sure, and everyone has their opinion, and I've been particularly fascinated by your opinions about that as I've read the WhatsApp group this week. But here's what the naming of Moses evokes for me. When this psalm was written, the temple in Jerusalem had been destroyed. Israel had lost its own king and was in fact suffering under the occupation of a foreign power. In other words, Israel is precisely back where it was at the time of Exodus, waiting on God to save them. Now I'm sure that in this kind of situation, this is the kind of situation that would cause many of us to lose our perspective, I think, particularly as our impatience and our intolerance for our current circumstances begin to grow. I mean, the longer this kind of stuff goes on, the harder it gets, doesn't it? And the longer it goes on, the more we feel the injustice of it, that our lives should not be like this. So this prayer in the mouth of Moses offers us a wider perspective about um, what it means to suffer under foreign occupiers, and it invites us to step back from the particular present circumstances of of that moment and to connect with the reality of the limits of the human condition, as Ellie so wonderfully pointed out to us today. As Moses can attest to in his own life, both in suffering and in prosperity, our human frailty remains. Living under the tyranny of Egypt, or taking that long walk to freedom through the wilderness makes absolutely no difference to the fixed limits of the human condition. So There's this this great irony that in response to very hard times in the life of Israel, Psalm 90 seeks to console us, to console uh, Israel by reminding them that don't worry about your suffering because death is just around the corner. It's not unlike, I think, that iconic moment in that movie, Crocodile Dundee, where in response to a penknife being produced on the streets of New York, Dundee says, that's not a knife. Now, this is a knife. You think this present moment is bad? You think you're suffering? Well, just wait until death comes. Let's listen to the first 12 verses of Psalm 90. Lord, you have been our dwelling place. Throughout all generations, before the mountains were born or you brought forth the earth and the world from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. You turn men back to dust, saying, return to dust, O sons of men, for a thousand years in your sight are like a day that has just gone by, or like a watch in the night You sweep men away in the sleep of death. They are like the new grass of the morning, though in the morning it springs up new. By evening it is dry and withered. We are consumed by your anger and terrified by your indignation. You have set our iniquities before you, our secret sins in the light of your presence. All our days pass away under your wrath. We finish our years with a moan. The length of our days is 70 or 80 if we have the strength. Yet their span is but trouble and sorrow. For they quickly pass and we fly away. Who knows the power of your anger? For your wrath is as great as the fear that is due you. Teach us to number our days aright. That we may gain a heart of wisdom. It's really rare that preachers get to apply the Bible so directly as I'm about to this morning. But I would like to um, invite you to imagine your life as a line. The line begins on the left when you were born and ends on the right. And now I'd like you to identify where you are on that line. Your age today, let's say you're 25. What part of us that aren't 25 don't wanna be 25? I would say I'm happy to be 25 this morning. Now, I'd like you to make a guess about what your final age might be. Don't worry, this isn't a prediction. (laughs) Now, I reckon that when I was 25, I thought that 80 seemed really old. So let's choose that. Now, I want you to work out what the numbers of years are between those two ages and then multiply it in your heads, which I'm sure you can do, by 365. So for all you 25-year-olds out there, if you think your final age is going to be 80, you've got 55 years or approximately 20,075 days left of this life. Now, you might ex- as you might expect, for those of us that are a little older than 25, the maths is a little different. I calculated this for myself and I think I've got about 7,000, something like that. I wonder, as you look at this, how are you feeling this morning as you count your days? If you're feeling slightly uncomfortable, I just want to reassure you that you're not the only one. We tend to approach this question of time in ways that are really about helping us to avoid confronting our finitude at all costs. We're much more interested, much more invested in emphasising our capacity for infinite thoughts and infinite creativity and infinite problem solving. Facing and embracing our limits head on, frankly, just doesn't jibe with our culture of personal growth and productivity. But that is the key invitation of this psalm. The psalm wants to dial up the tension between the possibilities we dream of and the realities that we face by forcing us to confront our own mortality. Now, no matter how many days you have, they will never be enough. You will never have enough time to do everything that you hope, wish and dream to do in your life. That is just how it is but far from being a source of distress, I think, I want to say to you this morning that the gift of embracing our finitude is that it sets us free from this fight against time. When you realise that you can't control time, that even with your best guess, you don't really know how much time you have, it might be way shorter than the number you just picked, but when you embrace time as something that you could never master, or never conquer, then you realise you can give up on time and you can stop putting so much energy into trying to endlessly bend time to your will. Because the truth is, you are dust. You are dust and one day, you will return to dust. You are like the grass that springs up in the morning and flourishes for a time but by the evening has withered and died. And time isn't something that you can possess. I mean, time is far too large of a thing to fit in your tiny hand. Time is held only in the infinite and everlasting hands of God. And it turns out, I think, that there is a great deal of relief in accepting this, because fighting time day by day leaves us feeling endlessly rushed and completely exhausted and totally impatient and utterly overwhelmed. But surrendering to the gift of time that we have, however long that is, opens up a whole new vista of horizon for us in our lives. I mean, what would your life be like this week? Even today, this afternoon, if you actually surrendered to the reality of what is? What if you reached out your arms and truly embraced and welcomed whatever comes to you this week, whatever is coming to you right now, even if it interrupts all of your assumptions and your best laid plans? What would that be like? to surrender to the uncontrollability of time. Reading Psalm 90 this week, it felt like reading kind of a condensed version of so many parts of the beautiful wisdom literature that we have in Scripture. In particular, Psalm 90, I think, has a great deal of resonance with the book of Ecclesiastes. This idea that we're dust, this idea that a thousand years in God's sight is but a day, is is like we experience a day. The truth that our life will pass away quickly. It's an articulation of a Hebrew word called Hebel, which appears over 38 times in the book of Ecclesiastes. Hebel literally means vapour. It literally means breath or mist, But the translators of the Bible have set aside that meaning, that literal meaning, and often translated it in a kind of interpretive way. We get vanity, if you're a fan of the King James Version, or we get meaninglessness in the NIV. And I don't know about you, but as I read vanity or meaningless in Ecclesiastes, I've never really got it. I've never really understood how life can be vanity or meaningless. In fact, the very idea that life is meaningless seems to me to run completely counter to the idea of an infinitely loving and infinitely creative God who made this wonderful life that we now enjoy. But the idea that everything is vapour, I think that feels more true to the way I experience life Life is fleeting. Life is vapour. I found a wonderful translation um, that kind of takes this idea. My clicker will work eventually. Thank you. Um, it's called... It's, <laughs> what you can see and what I can see are two different things. Craig, can we, th- can we go to the slide that looks like it's got two Bible verses on? We'll get there eventually. Thank you, that's the one. Um, I love this translation from the voice translation. It says, life is fleeting, which means life is precious. Each day is a gift. Uh, Life is fleeting, like a passing mist. It is like trying to catch hold of a breath. All vanishes like a vapor. Everything is a great vanity. So if we put these two slides together, We get this, life is fleeting, which means life is endlessly precious. Each day then becomes this extraordinary gift that we should treasure like a precious jewel. Therefore, we should count our days. Because counting our days isn't just a matter of mere calculation. It's a matter of valuing. We count so that we can value. Counting the days of our fleeting life because they are of infinite value. Count because you will never have this day that you've received ever again. Count because even now, you and everyone that you know and love is being carried on a river of time towards your inevitable death. Count because even as you breathe, this moment you're experiencing is slipping away. I was thinking about who models this way of being in the world and this really unlikely image popped into my mind. It's Count von Count from Sesame Street. Do you remember him? One, ah, 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 is kind of how it went. He appeared on Sesame Street as kind of this parody of um, Dracula, the vampire, and his thing was counting. He was the character that introduced the number of the day, and he would count everything. He would count bats. He would count the number of telephone rings. He'd count hats and all manner of things. And the thing that I remember most about him is that when he counted, he paid this extraordinary, joyful attention to whatever it was, he was counting. When he counted the bats, he called them beautiful. As he counted the rings of the telephone, he he praised the musicality of the phone. As he counted the hats, he praised their practicality. Counting for Count von Count was this form of extraordinary joyful attending, of noticing of appreciating the thing that he was accounting. Along with time, our attention is a finite resource. Our brains are bombarded with something like 11 million pieces of data in any given moment and we're only consciously able to process about 40. What that basically means is that we see precious little of what's around us. And we selectively filter everything that we see through a whole range of factors, including our state of mind and our mood and our goals and our personality and how much we had to eat at our last meal. And this basic principle governs all of our attention. We attend to things that we think are important or that we think are relevant to us in this moment and we ignore everything else. People on crutches suddenly notice the world is filled with people on crutches. Women who are pregnant, suddenly notice how many pregnant people there are in the world. And we were, after 9-11, people endlessly reported how they kept seeing suddenly that number sequence everywhere they went, 9-11, 9-11. So if you go through your day with no expectation that the presence of God is with you, guess what? Guess what you're likely to find? That the presence of God is not with you. That you can see absolutely no evidence of God's presence. So, attention, the things that we attend to, are incredibly important. And while time and our attention is finite, the key difference between the two is that we can choose how to direct our attention. We can choose and the choices that we make about how we direct our attention are incredibly consequential. They make a huge difference. If you pay too much attention to one thing and you fail to notice something, if you spread your attention so thin that you don't actually take anything in at all, that makes a massive difference. So I'd like to suggest that counting our days, attending to the fleeting nature of this finite life that we have, Might actually be a form of prayer. It might actually be a form of prayer. It's the kind of prayer that isn't seeking to get God's attention with an endless to do list, but the kind of prayer that opens ourselves up to God attending to us. And this posture of prayer, this posture It places our attention, not on ourselves, but on God. And as our attentiveness to God increases, our souls start to be shaped by the reality of God's constant, loving, self-revealing presence. Attention is a form of prayer. It's a form of prayer that changes our hearts, as we begin to gain a wisdom that is beyond all the wisdom of this world. So if we don't count our days, if you don't count your days, if you don't attend to your lives and to God like this, what you will lose ultimately is your ability to see God. What you will lose ultimately is the ability to see the value in your own life. You will lose seeing God's love profoundly at work in your life and in the world. You will fail to notice those transformative moments when the Spirit is quietly whispering in your ear. You'll fail to see the way that God is changing the circumstances of your life and using the people and the events that he places in such a surprising way in front of you to change you, to grow you, to love you. Ultimately, what you will lose is the ability to see God at all. You see, the kind of attention that's required for this kind of prayer isn't the kind where you've got to scrunch your face up in concentration and find exactly the right words simply the practice of opening yourself to whatever it is you might be encountering, whatever is present in this moment and the next and the next and the next. So that day by day in the midst of the river of this wonderful life, this difficult life that you've been given, this fleeting life that you have, you might truly appreciate, appreciate the gift in your hands. So my prayer is on this long weekend that you might experience this coming week, this coming week where you will yet again fail to implement all of those fantastic pro- productivity hacks you think you are gonna save you, where you will have your derailed Plans absolutely turned to mush. And I guarantee you will not get to the end of that to-do list that you've already got forming in your head or perhaps sitting on your phone. But I pray that you will give up all of your efforts to seek to conquer time this week. I pray instead you might take up the practice of counting your days, of breathing in the gift of the fleeting moments that you've been given this week so you may gain a wise heart. Let's pray. Loving God, as we stand in the river of time in this very moment, we do just that. We open ourselves to your spirit. We long to hear, God, what it is you are saying to each one of us this morning. And so we welcome. We welcome you and your presence. We welcome the circumstances of our lives as they are, even the, even the ones we wish you would transform. We welcome everything that comes to us today because we know contained within it are the seeds of redemption, that you are the one who can take everything and turn it towards good. So we pray, Lord, this morning that you would help us to let go of our desire for power and control. That you'd help us to let go of our desire for affection and esteem and approval and pleasure. That you'd help us to let go of this incessant desire to secure ourselves. That we'd let go of our desire to change any situation or condition or person. And we open ourselves. We open ourselves to the love and the presence of your action within God, of your love and grace poured out for each one of us today. We receive the gift of this fleeting moment. We receive the gift of this life. And we give it back to you for the sake of your glory. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.